This is Podco Media Networks. Welcome to Be Brave at Work, a podcast devoted to helping you take the next step in your workplace. Each week, we'll be talking with real people with real stories about things they have not said or done in the workplace or that they have said and done in the workplace that required bravery. Let's get started. Hey, everyone. I'm Ed Everts, and I'm the founder of Excellius Leadership Development. Welcome to Be Brave at Work, a podcast devoted to helping you take the next step in your workplace. In my 25 years in corporate America and 11 years as a leadership coach, every colleague and client I've worked with, and I do mean every, have either not said something that needs to be said or not done something that needs to be done. And there are impacts to this lack of action, impacts to their career, impacts to their professional progress, and impacts to their confidence. I use the word confidence purposely as I believe one of the factors affecting their ability to make progress professionally is bravery. So we are chatting with folks who have either not said what needs to be said or done what needs to be done and hear what impact this lack of action is having on their careers and lives. Or we are chatting with folks who found the bravery to say what needs to be said and do what needs to be done and the impact this action has had on themselves and their professional growth. Today, I'm thrilled to welcome a guest to our show who found the bravery to say and do something that needed to be said and done, and I hope you learn from her experience. Tracy Burns is the Chief Executive Officer of the Northeast Human Resources Association, otherwise known as NERA, and the co-founder of Hitched, an organization designed to connect innovative companies with human resource experts without all the hassle associated with traditional recruiting arrangements. Good morning, Tracy. Good morning, Ed. How are you today? I'm well, thank you. Thanks for having me. Great, great. Well, thank you. Uh, You know, this is a newer podcast designed to really help people think more about what they're experiencing in their workplaces with either common stories of things that I haven't said or done that I should and the impact this lack of action is having on me or stories like yours of things that people have done and said that have really influenced and impacted them. So, I think myself and all of the folks listening really appreciate you taking the time to do this today. My pleasure. I think this is a great podcast, Ed. I'm glad I'm glad that you're doing it. I think you're going to have some really great stories that come along, and I can't wait to see how it progresses. Well, we certainly hope so. <laughs> so, well, let's start with yours. Why don't we jump right in? And I'd love you to tell your story about uh, either something that you haven't done or have done and the impact and influence that this behavior has had on you. Sure, sure. So my story begins about 10 years ago in the middle of the financial crisis. I was working at a firm in downtown Boston that was, like many firms in financial services especially, was hit pretty significantly by what was going on in 2008, 2009, 2010. And we were in the midst of planning a major reorganization, including laying off about 25% of the staff. And, and was, this a, was this in reaction to the 2008 financial? It was. Okay. It was, and it was the first time that there had been any layoffs in the organization at all. It was just a little over 200 people, and we were going to lay off about 50 of them and reorganize in a way that the end goal was to have a more sort of deliberate, uh, lean organization 
And so as part of that, so I was the head of HR. I had been there just about a year. I always say really great timing, Trace, to go into financial services in in the midst of this. But I, I did in my- all, It's all about timing. In my own defense, I did start a little bit before the crash, but not much. And in that process, we had a new CEO and a new COO. So a lot of newbies in the executive suite. And so we hired a firm, a very small firm that to help us through the reorganization, really conduct the analysis and look at all the operations, both from a people standpoint and then, you know, sort of from a business operation standpoint. And that firm actually had a long relationship with the COO that we had hired a few months before. And so he felt really confident of their ability to come in and and really help with the analysis and and maybe a little bit more objective way, even though we were all new, we knew this was, there was going to be a big impact on this organization, had very much of a sort of family feel for a long time. And so any disruption like this, even though, you know, I think a lot of people saw it coming because of the financial crisis, it was, it was still going to be a really big deal for a really small firm. So the primary consultant at the firm was someone that the COO knew. Um, He really had a deeper relationship with the principal, but this particular person he'd worked with before. And so, as you can imagine, going through that process, there's a lot of really long days and in a lot of closed door meetings and a lot of trying to, you know, put on a a smiling face and not set off a lot of panic inside the organization until we knew exactly what was going to happen. And in that, there were, you know, a lot of long days where we were sharing meals and conversations and sort of getting to know each other. And in particular, the consultant that had been assigned to it, he was asking a lot of questions, just trying to kind of get to know us in what seemed originally is fairly innocuous. And I had been just recently divorced, had two little kids, and, you know, happy to share that and that I was in a new relationship and, you know, didn't really think much of that. But over the course of a couple of days of that type of conversation and really sort of even over, you know, dinners in the boardroom where, you know, we're eating the proverbial Chinese food and really other bad, I think, peanut M&Ms and other things that were just probably not fueling our nutrition very well. The conversations got a little bit more personal. You know, it must be really hard to raise two young boys. You know, are you dating? Are you, you know, just sort of went down a road that didn't sit well with me. And so one day I decided I should probably draw, a, you know, better boundaries, a better line in the sand. So I went to my boss and said, look, I'm starting to feel uncomfortable with where these conversations are going. And so I'm going to say something. I don't need for you to do anything. I'm going to go and have this and really feel confident that it's going to be fine. But I just wanted you to know as part of you know our process that you would have inside any organization around having a difficult conversation. And was your boss the lead HR person in the organization? He was the chief administrative officer. So he, you know, oversaw accounting and finance and facilities and HR. We had a great relationship. I trusted him, which is probably what led me to be able to have the initial conversation. So I sat down with this consultant and I said, you know, um, sort of what I just 
described, you know, these conversations have gotten a little bit too personal for my comfort level. And I think, you know, we are all spending a lot of time together and there's nothing wrong with personal, you know, questions and things like that. But I just starting to feel uncomfortable. And, and he very graciously apologized and, and, you know, said no problem. And so I sort of put that conversation to rest and went on with my day. And fast forward, about maybe 12 hours later, again, another really late night. It was around 11 o'clock and we were wrapping up in the boardroom. And so I went out to my office and grabbed my bags and I turned around and this same consultant was standing in my doorway and made me an offer that I won't repeat on your on the family friendly podcast. <laughs> but needless to say, you know, I honestly don't know exactly what my response was, or even if any words came out of my mouth, because certainly what was going through my head was, you know, probably not something I would articulate in in the workplace. So I remember grabbing my things and, and going home and being really just distraught and, and not, you know, I probably spent about the next eight hours not not sleeping, but trying to figure out what I was going to do because I think I was both shocked because we had just had this conversation that day, that morning. And I felt like, you know, you look someone in the eye and say, you know, this is where I'm drawing the line in the sand. And then, you know, not even 24 hours later, they're, they're crossing that line. So I did a few things. I, I called my mom, I called my lawyer, and I called the EAP to get, you know, some advice from these people to say, here's what's happening here. You know, am I going crazy? I do the same thing that we all do. I think women do this too. And I've heard it, you know, sort of throughout the Me Too movement is just, you know, did I really hear that? Is it me? Did I say something or do something to provoke that? And all the things that sort of go through your mind and at the end of the day, I went in the next morning and I met with my boss behind closed doors. I told him what happened. And fortunately, because of our, our good relationship, there was not a question. In fact, he had witnessed this consultant get up out of his chair and and leave the boardroom just shortly after I did. So he could sort of cooperate like the timing. But remember, this is somebody that's not been hired by either of us. It's been he's been hired by the COO, who has a longstanding relationship not with this consultant in particular, but with the firm. And so there's a fair amount of risk involved, even for the two of us. To you know, the person could come back and say, you know, it could have been a definitely a he said, she said. So I felt fortunate that I had someone that I trusted that I could go to and say, here's what happened even after, you know, despite the conversation we'd had yesterday. So what I can say about the what happened after that is that it, the organization moved very quickly. This person was out of the building within 30 minutes. And I had a couple of meetings, you know, with, I had one meeting with the CEO, with the COO, and felt really supported. Um, they were all in shock. And I, I think um, one of the things that everyone said to me was, you know, who, who does this, first of all, you know, and secondly, who does this to HR? I mean, you, you're probably not the smartest person to go after, given what I do for a living. And, and I think I was really naive up until that point that it even happened to me. 
because I was in HR. So, so I felt really supported. Even the principal of the firm flew up the next morning and sat down and talked to me and apologized. And I think that the other thing that I found interesting is that once I said something and, and that consultant was removed, two other women came forward with examples of really, really inappropriate comments that he had made to them. One much more junior than me and one actually more senior than me. So I found it interesting that not even, you know, maybe validating, I don't know, but at the end of the day that I was, once I heard that, I was glad that I had said something so that perhaps I prevented even more inappropriate behavior by this individual. Thank you for sharing that story, Tracy. I'm just wondering, as you think back on that activity, first of all, you know, bringing to the organization's attention someone who is friends and former colleagues with the COO, right, can be pretty intimidating. In fact, that might be alone a factor why somebody doesn't bring someone forward. You know, what were some of the benefits or, you know, lessons you think you learned in in saying something? I think that First and foremost, you, you have to stick up for yourself. So, you know, and I, and I think that I had enough, regardless of how much I had questioned myself in those first few hours of the course of the night about, you know, my own potential role in any of it, I knew it was wrong. And so I think that the benefit, again, of, of coming forward highlighted someone who, you know, probably had done this in other organizations and it had certainly already already started to do it in our organization. So I think that uh, that was one lesson. The other one was to sort of follow a process. And part of that, again, the irony of being in HR and having it happen to me is that, you know, I have talked women through this process, men and women, frankly, through this process time and time again, as I'm sure you have as, a, as an HR executive. But when, it, when it's happening to, to you, it, it's hard to sort of receive those messages. And, you know, when people are saying, you know, you didn't do anything wrong and this is absolutely, you know, the right thing to do and, and all of that, it, it's really hard to sort of remove yourself from the situation um, as an HR executive and someone that, you know, has been giving this type of advice and coaching for years. Mm-hmm. I also think that I can't really emphasize enough how important it was for me to feel heard and to have someone in the organization who I trusted to go to this, to go to with this information. So, you know, people say that you need a best friend at work, you know, and, and that's not always your boss. It's usually, usually not your boss, but you need to have someone that, that um, you can trust that you know, has your back that, that you can at least go to, to process this, because when something like this happens, it can feel very isolating. And so it's important, you know, that you have some relationship where you can go and, and, and other resources too. The other thing I I think that was really important is that I leaned on my resources. I called the EAP again, something I've told, you know, employees to do for years. I called the EAP. I called my attorney, you know, not even, not even an attorney, not even an employment attorney, just someone that I knew that was, you know, could, I could bounce the legalities of it off if, if in case they didn't believe me or in case something, you know, larger became of it. And then of course my mom, because, you know, I knew that she was going to be a good ear and, and sort of talk me off the ledge. Well, a couple of things that I love about your story. One is that you had a trusting relationship with your boss. I tell people 
all the time that you have to have a positive relationship with your boss because uh, careers are made by the impressions and relationships that you have with others. And I'm not saying you have to be best friends and go out for drinks on Friday nights, et cetera, but you have to have a positive relationship with your boss. And it sounded as though you did, and it provided you an opportunity to have a conversation with somebody not once, but twice. That's the second thing that I think is important is that you brought it up more than once. So it wasn't the second time where this person did what he did, but that you brought it up for the first time, but it was the second time you brought it up the second time, right? So there was a pattern right. of behavior that you had been demonstrating. And then the third thing is is reaching out to others. So many people try to handle things on their own. And I guarantee you that although, as you said earlier, the Me Too movement is happening, these types of behaviors and activities are still going on. And unless you reach out to somebody, a friend, a family member, a parent, uh, EAP, an attorney, etc., you know, you won't have really good insights on how to move forward. And I think having a trusting relationship, having talked about it previously at work and talking with those people in some ways help give you the bravery to say what's happening to me is wrong and I need to do something about it. Absolutely. And I, and I think that we saw that with the Me Too movement. Now, this was, you know, years before that, but that's what I, that's where Me Too was built, right? I think that people didn't realize how many, how prevalent this was and it and continues to be. And so I think that that's sort of the beauty of the Me Too movement is that it, we found out that we're not alone. This happens a lot, continues to happen a lot. And hopefully now it is a little bit easier for people to talk about. Mm-hmm. One thing I didn't mention is that the CEO at the time was female. The rest of the C-suite was male. My boss was male. The COO was male. And I, I think that, you know, anyone can be compassionate around this, right? But I, I think that having a female CEO and the words that she used to show her empathy during this was really important. I have no doubt that the organization would have acted swiftly either way, just given the other individuals that were involved, including my boss and, and you know, the the conviction with which they were like, you know, we need to handle this and handle it now. But mm-hmm. having a female CEO, I think, did play a role in maybe it influenced my bravery now that I think about it. And also, you know, the, the aftermath and the em- empathy that she showed was really pretty incredible. Look, I think there's two parts to every situation. There's what's happened up to the point we bring it to the organization's attention and then how the organization handles it. And I think we have both seen organizations that have not handled things well and how they handle it oftentimes becomes more of an issue than what it was that I went to even talk with them about. And you had the good fortune of not only handling it well, but also working for an organization that took action. So I think that's just fantastic. Absolutely. Absolutely. Tracy, tell me a little bit about, just as we close off here, about NERA and Hitched. Oh, sure. So NERA is the Northeast HR Association. We've been around since the mid-80s. We're a a membership organization with a little over 2,500 HR professionals in our membership now we're so it is the the Northeast HR Association, but a lot of our members reside in and around Massachusetts and Rhode Island. And we do a variety of programming in support of HR professionals. So we're looking to provide the tools and the resources and the educational opportunities, as well as the community. 
which is the, the part that I'm most proud of because I think you can get a lot of programming either online or from other vendors. But for us, it's really about the the NARA community, the HR community sort of in your backyard that I love about this role. And our next big event, if I can do a little plug. Please. Is the Diversity Gala in April. So we're going to have Abby Wambach, who's a star soccer player, as you probably know, and an advocate and ally for gender equity. So that is on April 2nd. It's one of my favorite events. And then Hitched is a in partnership with uh, Mim Minicello, who's a, a longtime business colleague. We started Hitched a couple of years ago, and it's an online platform where organizations, especially I would say in the startup space, but even those that are growing that need or have you know an interim HR role that they're trying to fill, a place for organizations to go and sort of not have to deal with either staffing or or the sort of the overhead costs of a staffing firm or placement fees and things like that, where they can go and we'll match them with, we have a couple of hundred HR professionals in the database right now. And we just, it's sort of, you know, matching service, right? We'll, we'll give each organization that posts a position three matches and hopefully one of those is a good fit and they sort of take it from there. So there's no real placement fee. There's a cost to be on the platform, but there's not a, a placement fee and all of the costs associated with having that interim HR professional and expertise on board really happen between the organization and that individual. So it's sort of like an online, you know, one of the more popular ones is Tackle or TaskRabbit. Mm-hmm. It, that's really sort of where the concept is built out of. But we didn't see anything in this market or even really across the U.S. that, that allowed sort of quite the same model that we're using. So we're really excited about it. Great, great. And Tracy, if someone would like to get in touch with you to talk with you a little bit more about the story you shared today, is there a phone number or an email address that they can use to contact you? Sure. The easiest way to reach me is at TBM. So T is in Tom, B is in boy, M is in Mary at nara.com. That's probably the easiest way. Okay. Or on LinkedIn. Always. <laughs> can always <laughs> connect on LinkedIn. So Tracy, thank you so much for sharing that uh, story with us today and for joining us on this podcast. Thank you, Ed. It was been my pleasure. Okay, everyone. So we hope that you join us next Monday where we'll be welcoming another guest who is going to tell us a real-life story about something they are either experiencing or had experienced that allowed them to be brave at work. Have a great day.